on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle, and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective, and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 Euro in-store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school. More chances, more prizes, more reason to enter. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald. Oh, Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney out to Fitzgerald again, Stamp! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast in association with Aldi. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined in studio as always by Luke Vistrell and Fergus McFadden. Lads, hello. Will, how are you getting on? How's things? I'm good. Enjoy the weekend's rugby? Well, I didn't, I didn't. You know, it's bad enough that Ireland have gone down in flames and yet another World Cup. Now I have to adjust my mindset to living possibly in a world where England have won not one but two World Cups in my lifetime. I remember watching the original one with Woodward and the lads and thinking, okay, this is about as bad as it gets. Then 16 years on, Eddie Jones comes along. But to be fair, at this stage, I was actually happy to see them win that game. But I don't know if I'm ready to see them, you know, with the Webb Ellis Trophy and, and everything that comes with it. Like, the lads still getting wheeled out 16 years later. Mm. Do you know what, actually? It did, weirdly enough, right? I probably would have been in the, in the same camp with you. But through the course of, like, doing a few media things here and there in the last couple of years, I've actually come in contact with a good few of those guys actually really nice bunch like Phil Vickery lovely guy actually Clive Woodward's a lovely fella as well like all people who I would have been thinking yeah. Mike Tindall's a nice fella Mike Tindall's a good guy it's as well so yeah. it's just when they're doing their punditry everything's always it's like especially Woodward it's like of course in 2003 or when I won the World Cup or when this and that but you're always going to come back because like, people always want to hear about like you've reached the pinnacle of the game you yeah. know what I mean will it, will it be Sir Eddie Jones now as well? uh, <laughs> oh you have to be from England <laughs> uh, yeah. okay, no, no you don't Tony O'Reilly is he yes. yeah he is yeah Oh, we just have one of our producers actually trying to... <laughs> I, but, I, sir, I thought you were able... I, obviously not. Oh, May yeah. Bob Geldof, no? Is he a sir? Yeah. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Listen, yeah. let's not get into the politics of this thing. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's not go sir down Eddie that Jones. rabbit hole. No, but it, like, yeah. look, it's an amazing achievement to even get to a final, I think. Um, you know, and look, they've gone the, the, the tough route as well. They had a tough group. Um, you know the Aussies are you know they're they're pretty tough as well. They've um, beaten all four rugby championship teams to win the World Cup. And then obviously the the only caveat is that they didn't get to play the French, which would have brought them a different route. Maybe they would have played Wales earlier. But I don't know. I think they looked they've looked brilliant throughout the competition. I'm not sure anyone would have touched them. You know. Yeah, it's interesting uh, for to see England get to this stage because obviously Eddie Jones was always like judge me on the World Cup, even when they were winning Grand Slams and going on that long win streak. He was always talking with the World Cup. And now it looks like his kind of master plan or his four-year grand plan has paid off. You know, they, they seem to be hitting their peak at the perfect time. You know, what have you made of him over the last four years in general? Like from, you know, obviously you've been playing in and around that this time, like a bit different from Luke, who's maybe a bit away. What do the, play, the current players think Scrap of the people, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> right away, he's gone about his business. Yeah, it's, it's obviously difficult to know when you're not in their camp. But um, as a player in the Ireland camp during a couple of those Six Nations when Jones was in charge... Um, you know, I got the feeling talking to the guys that had been on the lines with a few of those guys that, you know, Jones didn't necessarily do that much of the rugby coaching. I think that's kind of widely enough known. Mm. Um, but he he obviously just had the foresight to put um, a coaching staff in place um, that was ideal. And, and also, I think you mentioned before the show as well there, Will, that there was consistency to a lot of their selections, but there was one or two big ones that they changed up, you know, the likes of um, 
Robshaw being taken out, who was a captain for years, and you know that back row, Billy Vinopola, I think is 24, 25, and the two lads were 20 and 21. Mm. And you know, for someone that doesn't watch the game much, they probably would have looked at those age profiles before the game and gone, like, who are these guys? What's going to happen? Me, Francis called them journeymen at the yeah. time. <laughs> journeymen like before Ireland played England. In <laughs> the great point, though. Yeah, it's phenomenal what they did, yeah. and it's mm. what what Jones has done is he's obviously he's got a culture going there where he picks his best players, but he picks his best players who are playing the best because he could have easily also gone with Owen Farrell at ten, mm. and. He didn't. He went with George Ford because George Ford was, was playing some of his best rugby under Eddie Jones throughout the World Cup and he just decided to do that and it worked. I mean, it, like in terms of a, a, like a complete performance by a team at test level at a World Cup, I don't think I've ever seen one as good as that before. It was, it was phenomenal and if you go through it, there was two tries that were disallowed for England that were rightfully disallowed, fair enough. But again, that's just pressure Pressure. in the 22 where they should have scored. And then the New Zealand try was a gift, you know, from an overthrow. So it should have really been 20 points. Yeah, like, look... I, I just thought they were outstanding, like, and it was just, I just think it's, it really showed, um, you know, how a good team, because I still think that's an excellent All Blacks team as well. It just shows you, if you're like a few percent off in a few facets of the game, um, you're, you're just done. Like they'll just make you look really, really bad, you know. And they can dominate you for the entire game. Like I think if you look at the New Zealand game the week before against Ireland, I think it probably shows up a lot of the same things for me. I was watching the two of them. I just saw lots of similarities, like drop balls from the All Blacks, which you just never see, really never see. And look, that's English pressure as well. But I thought you know they performed poorly as well. I thought their defence was so passive. I couldn't believe it. It reminded me of our performance the week before where like every single carry was uh, over the game. I thought their forwards, well, the English forwards, the way they pass the ball amongst themselves, it reminds me of when Leinster are playing well. It reminds me of when Ireland were playing well in 2018 where um, I think that kind of Leinster mantra, which I think has fed through, interestingly enough, in some of the media stuff yeah, this we'll week, which we'll probably get onto yeah. that. But... Um, you know, I I think like those three things. I thought, Jesus, like they look so similar to what Ireland, what happened to Ireland last week. And it's amazing how bad you look when you don't get those things right. Just a few percent off, like that's all it takes. One, like you know, every defensive set not taking one step forward, like just sitting there waiting for them to come at you. Like mm. guys with good ball carriers and good ball handling, they'll find holes and they'll just make you look very like I thought that first try. I don't know what you thought, Ferg or Will, but geez, that first try, how passive did that look? That looks so easy. No? Yeah, yeah, I know. I, it, I was like, is this the semi-final of a World Cup? I was like, what's... Yeah. <laughs> it looks so easy. It was It was very good pre-game analysis by the English backroom team because the All Blacks do have a bit of a soft... Their style of defence is soft. It's up yeah. and out. It's, it's, it's not nearly as hard as the likes of the South Africans or... Um, the English or even the the Irish team in fairness, when they're playing well the, no yeah. but the Irish team come up hard within the 15s mm-hmm. and then the wingers stay back and you know that worked for a season or two but then teams started to pick that apart which we discovered at the World Cup but um, yeah I think like you go through that first try and it's just I thought I haven't seen a team as composed for such a big occasion in, in a long, long time from the very start of the game. There was no oh, easing myself in, in here. Mm. You could kind of see a look in a few of their, their eyes when they're staring down the hacker that it was just a bit of a you know, bomb-proof confidence. Mm. Um, they just had a plan going in and they executed it from you know the first minute till the 80th. And even the, the bench players that came on, and, and you, you're talking about... Um, a couple of the, the similarities between the Irish mistakes that were made against New Zealand the week before, and I completely agree with you. There, there's, you know, ball handling errors, but also the ball getting like reefed out of it. I think it was in the first five minutes, the ball getting reefed out of uh, uh, Lalas that the tight heads hands from George Ford. Small things like that where you're going, these guys are they're just more switched on and up for this match, and um, yeah, that just kind of riddled through the whole team and and and. The first half was was so comprehensive from England. Like you, you really felt there was going to have to be something special. One of the all-time great comebacks. I know it was only ten points at halftime. Mm. Was going to have to be one of the all-time great turnarounds to, to come back and beat them when they were playing that well. Yeah, and I know Warren Gatlin was probably taking the piss when he said, you know, a lot of teams play their final in the semi-final, but with such a comprehensive performance on, you know, beating the All Blacks is always a little extra mm. to beating another team. You know, how do you think 
in terms of dealing with that like it's right is it hard to reset and go again so soon I know it is a World Cup final so that obviously adds a, a kind of another element to it but ordinarily you know beating New Zealand is a big game you don't really have to go again immediately afterwards you don't have to reset immediately and get back down to business I don't, see, do you know what actually I think it was the manner of the defeat or the victory sorry excuse me um, that kind of leads me to believe that that's not going to be an issue. I still think that South Africa will pose them lots of problems if they can manage the pace of the game. Um, I just don't feel like you can bully them around. Like I thought, like if they get their line, if they can produce, you know, for you know, they need to do it for a large period of the game, which is a challenge. But if they can produce the kind of performance they had defensively, you know, for the first twenty minutes that they did against the All Blacks. Um, they'll cause them problems. Like they have lots of really, really quality rugby players. That's it, and like that's an African pack. You're just not going to bully them, you know. I just, I even know that like that English pack is very, very physical. Um, I, I just don't think that that'll happen against uh, against South Africa. So I actually think this could be a tighter game, um, you know. And I think as well, what was what was really notable to me was I think that selection error that we talked about. I thought that was an unusual selection. Uh, sorry, I was talking about another thing on Friday. Um, but I thought the selection of Barrett at six was a was a really unusual one. You do the left wing on Friday. Oh, is, that, <laughs> is that another Gee, game? What have you done? I'm oh, sorry. God. I'm sorry. How dare you? Play the way home, baby. Slip of the tongue. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, sorry. Who hosted? I, I just thought the um, I, I thought that was a big a big error, and in hindsight, it was interesting. Do you know what as well? What I thought was cl really classy touch because I, I always think this there are such PR stunts after the game. Like, it's such like it kind of gives me maybe I'm just a really cynical person, but I did really like that. You heard no complaints from the New Zealand camp. Mm. You know, there was no moaning about anything. Like he even I, I do you know what I really liked about Hanson because whatever about all the crap with Eddie Jones and well done England and that, like you have to say that otherwise you look like an Egypt, right? Um they didn't mention anything about the referee who I thought actually rode them a little bit at rook time. Um no mention of that. Um and actually he really he stuck by Barrett, you know, he didn't throw him under the bus. He like he kind of half you know, someone in the in the media kind of scrum said something along the lines of, you know, in hindsight with the damage that the English back row did to your breakdown, was it a good decision to pick Barrett? And he's like, like I'm not gonna you know, how bad will he feel if I kind of I just I just felt it was a really good answer. He said something along the lines of, How bad would he feel if I said that? I said, Look, you know, in hindsight, maybe, you know, there was that that idea that we had about maybe the line out and the dominance that England had there and how good they are, combating that with Barrett probably didn't work out. Um, but I loved his answer on that one. I just felt like he's come out of it looking really well to me, even though I felt like there's lots of times where I've been saying, Ah, you know, I don't. He's kind of gruff at times with the media, but I thought that was a brilliant answer. Um, and the way they've dealt with the defeat was brilliant. Like they looked inwardly and they congratulated England. Like very, very. I thought good. Kieran Reid's reaction was a pretty interesting one because that was just a genuine reaction. Mm. Because when Ireland had beaten them in Chicago and beaten them in Dublin, he was very gracious in defeat, and he kind of was there with a smile on his face. Whatever he looked fully shell shocked, and he yeah. didn't really have much to say to the the interviewer. He said. He said, well done to England, but he was kind of looking around going, because that All Blacks team, you have to remember, even when Ireland beat them, and like, I guarantee after those games, they're like, we'll be able to pick them apart next time. We'll, mm. be, we'll, we'll be able to be better than them the next time. There's not, I don't think there's anything from that English performance they'd be able to look at and go, we could have done something differently there to, to beat them. They were actually that good. Like they, they, went, they went through them at the right time. They went around them. They put the, then when they had done that, that time when uh, Ford or Farrell put the ball straight in behind Reese. That time he also put the ball in behind Bridge in the first half. Mm. Just had them get second guessing, and he he had them playing completely outside outside their comfort zone for most of the game. Um, certainly the halfbacks did anyway, um, and that's why they played most of their rugby in the most dangerous part of the field, which is within your own from the thirty meter line in towards your your try line because they were chasing the game early on for because if you go through the, the possession stats like if you read the possession stats bar the territory it would you'd, you'd no, surely you be, be convinced yeah. that that New Zealand won that match but it was it was down to the game management mm. um, England had in comparison to, to the Kiwis yeah like and even though I thought the set piece dominance was just unbelievable 
the mall, the mall, the oh, English mall. They was, just, was I there, just like, thought they looked like it looked like men against boys. Like it was really unusual. Like I, I thought Barrett would at least kind of provide a bit of you know, you know, a little bit extra maybe in the scrum, uh, perhaps, um, you know, and definitely something in the lineup. But Jesus, like I know they all talk about Borthwick being brilliant there, um, and he was brilliant for I think he was Saracens before as well. He did a, f- a couple of years at their line, and he was like renowned, brilliant, you know. Um, but they just look is exactly what Ferg said. I just think there was not there wasn't one facet of the game where New Zealand were like, oh well, we had you know, we we kind of had a chance in there. Like maybe if we you know that was something positive to take from it. They had so little of the game. Um, you know, it was from their perspective, as Ferg said, he looked shell shocked. But you probably would be, and you'd be concerned about where they go from here. Um, now the the age profile is good, but new head coach. They'd still be like, will they do Moanga and Barrett persist with that? I, I don't think, I still don't think that that has, in the big games, I'd still have Barrett there. I I, I, I think Ben Smith could have made a difference for them back there. Um, I just think he's a brilliant footballer and I'm surprised, like he's obviously gone, probably gone beyond that now. Mm. Ferg, I think, talked a bit about Rico, was it you that was talking about Rico Ioni? Something on um, Friday, maybe. Uh, it wasn't on Friday, no, but I think you mentioned <laughs> no, that it was I wasn't kind invited of a, this gig on Friday, unfortunately. Uh, it, no, there was, one against, <laughs> there was one on the uh, no, because you were mentioning. Do you remember when uh, Bridge made the break against Ireland and yeah. he got he he you now started a terrible missed tackle by Stockdale and a terrible defence by Ireland previously off the scrum, but I think you mentioned like I think if that's Ioanni, he probably goes the whole way, um, and I just felt like maybe some of the personnel stuff while very very good players did New Zealand have one guy like that was just like you know usually they have a guy where you're like geez he's unstoppable even today in his prime yeah. kind of that type or, of or you know even the centre combination they had Nanu and and uh, Conrad Smith now I think those two guys would get better I, I like Leonard Brand I think he looks really good and but could you nowhere near the, the, no yeah. exactly so like when we say like how good they were are we actually saying mm, like how bad were Ireland maybe was probably a more a more apt kind of description of that and maybe they hadn't really been tested I thought they looked good um, you know in for periods against uh, South Africa but they kept throwing it around and a better defence I think England have a better defence than South Africa I thought they made them look fairly ordinary in attack mm. so um, I thought there was lots of things for them to to maybe mull over and to say Jesus like was there you know is there something we need to rethink here are some of the personnel were we picking the right people um, and yeah I think it, like it'll leave them with, with some wounds that are pretty deep and they'll have some serious soul searching I think I, after I, it I think the big one that stood out for me was previously in massive games you know World Cup games Rugby Championship games when you know New Zealand were under the pump in the November series against teams when the game is in the balance and there was like these one or two big moments mm. those big moments they, they almost lost every time against England which was the most impressive thing mentally from that English side's performance in my opinion um, there was a couple of times they broke them down they looked like they are getting over the gain line it was either Underhill or um, Curry got over the ball Massive turnovers, tackles as well. Yeah. Then, then the other one was when uh, New Zealand started quite well in the second half, and Whitelock gave away that penalty for yeah. slapping Farrell in the face. Just stuff like that that New Zealand teams in the past in really tight matches wouldn't normally do. Mm. And I felt those, you know, those big moments that that England definitely got on top in that area. And as well, like you'd have to say, I thought Underhill had a few tackles for that were just like. Do you remember, the, I think New Zealand just got the try and I think it goes to Barrett. Was there a kick through? It goes to Barrett yeah. at the back, Geordie, and he sidesteps one guy and you're like, oh, you know, something could be on here. He then goes to take contact with Underhill and he just, boom, flattens him and knocks the ball out. I'm just thinking, those big momentum turners, as you say, like England forced them as well as New Zealand actually, you know, really, like some, some serious blow-ups from them as well, you know, so. Then they had um, Ron Watson. So, sorry, there was another big turnover as well. Where New Zealand, the game wasn't fully away from the still around ten minutes left, and Watson got over the ball when either Perinara or or Smith went through and got caught alone, and Watson the six that the the six from Newcastle came on. Wilson, oh Wilson, yeah, Wilson, yeah, yeah, Wilson, yeah, that was a great me, turnover. Wilson, Sorry, that was brilliant. Um, yeah, brilliant turnover, mm. and just just a really big moment from a bench player that you know they call called them. Some coaches call them the finishers these days, mm. which is kind of a nice way of putting a bench player. Really, if they're such a good player, they'd be starting. Like, really, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the joke she was telling me the whole time. Yeah, you know, you're a you finisher for a bunch on the bench, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the likes of him coming on, making such a huge difference. Mm. And um, even Slade, he had some lovely touches, a few lovely lines. Um, They just have a great 23 there. There's probably one or two others they could pick from the the squad. Ellis Genge is a great player. Um, They just... 
they look really, really strong going into this final. But the one thing I will say about South Africa is they're going to just really try and frustrate um, because Razzie Erasmus was was very good at Munster when he probably didn't have the fi- he obviously didn't have the firepower that South Africa have in that pack. But the style of rugby they played under him when they're playing at best it was quite fr- frustrating to play against there was a lot of kicking very confrontational and it's just the perfect style for that group of South African players so I'd say it could be a bit of a disappointing final in terms of like from a spectator's point of view in terms of excitement going from New Zealand England um, so I think it'll be a little bit more of a tight like a, a closer score than yeah how expect. much of a chance would you give South Africa like the, obviously the game against Wales was as Brooks said as a neutral it was pretty poor to watch a lot of kicking but mm-hmm. they have so much power there they've been going with six forwards yeah. on the bench which says it all and even yeah. after the game Erasmus was basically saying you know this game this final isn't going to be won with a lot of great tries or I don't think it is haha even though it's obviously what he is. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm definitely planning for that I don't think um, I, I think the physical kind of confrontational game they have excellent kickers uh, you know Willie LaRue at the back is an excellent footballer uh, a bit loose at times but it's I think an excellent footballer um, it looks like Colby's going to be back so he's a threat um, but the, the, the boys in the centre are big fellas and as you say that 6-2 split on the bench if they do go with that like you're looking at Francois Lowe you're looking at Malcolm Marks on the bench there like, you know you've got some quality operators and some big men can't remember the name of that second row he's a huge Sneeman man Sne- and yeah, Masters yeah like big big men you know so I don't think as I said earlier on South Africa are not going to be bullied, you know, by that confrontational game, and they will get off the line regardless. That's Nina Barr's defence. It's like, just get off the line, get off the line. Um, and England will have to produce something special, you know, and I think I'd be, my only concern with England is actually that 10-12 axis. I thought Ford, it was a really brave decision to pick him against New Zealand. I thought it was a mistake. I was wrong, clearly. Um, he got a brilliant platform, and he's great when he's got a big platform in front of him. Against South Africa, it's really harsh. But I would 100% be picking Farrell at 10 um, and Slade at 13. I just think it's a better balance for the team um, in a tight game. I know he looked brilliantly, yeah. he looked brilliant there, but I just but feel like. Come. Because I don't think, I think he'll get exposed by some of the big ball carriers. I don't think. Well, you see, New Zealand went after uh, Ford, and the one thing about Ford is he does make his. Oh, he's a good, he's a good yeah, player. He doesn't, just, like, you know. I, I, I thought Farrell didn't have a good game, though. I thought Farrell was only okay in the game. He, um, yeah, he was running on one leg for most of it. He yeah, was, like mm. I don't know. I th- I thought I thought it was it was too good a performance not to pick the exact same team yeah. again. I I, I completely sorry you not completely agree with you, yeah. but I think he's made a brave decision to pick yeah. him against against New Zealand. I think the brave decision is actually to put him back on the bench. I know it's a terrible thing to say after such a break. Like mm. I know it would be just heartbreaking for the guy, and it's not going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. But I'm telling you. It's a better decision to play Farrell, um, Farrell ten. Just defensively, it could be a tight game. He's a better kicker off the deck than than Ford, um, you know. And I think <laughs> I, I don't think he plays great rugby at twelve. I've, I'm on the record as saying he's a pretty. I think he's a pretty average international twelve. He's a brilliant ten. Oh, he's a brilliant. I just love Farrell's one of my favorite players, but he's a ten. But you say you don't think he plays good rugby. You think he's what average? I think he doesn't. He's not. He's an average enough defender. Like he comes in with a big enough hit every now and then, but he never sticks. He misses lots of tackles from bouncing off guys because he doesn't stick. It, they're way easier tackles. You're you're tackling. You know, it's, it's easier tackles in 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 ten. It's way more attritional in twelve. I feel like he doesn't have much of a, a game. He doesn't have a game breaking running running game. Which is very important to have as a twelve. I think Slade brings a bit of both. He can he like he's got a nice little kicking game. Uh, he's a nice handler of the football, but he can also break it down. Yeah, but I see my de- my debate against that would be that I think Tulang is a better defending thirteen than Slade. Like because mm. like you saw the way England shut down New Zealand in most of that game, particularly when they had a, a couple of overlaps. Two Lange just coming in, he making b- beautiful mm. decisions there. Remember mm. the one he came out the back? Did he hit Ritalik? Ritalik or someone out the back of one of those shapes, smashed him behind the gain line. Yeah. And then a couple of times he just got there in the passing channel to actually deter the pass. They couldn't get it out. So he it was, was brilliant. Just, yeah, no, so was definitely some, right. Some yeah. was just looking mm. out there and he just dumped the ball back yeah. inside to the traffic with the likes yeah. of Sinclair Toje banging them behind yeah. the gain line. So I think from that perspective, could I, you play? I, could I you play Slade twelve? Would you? Would you? Wouldn't play him there? Well, they, Jones definitely they wouldn't put him in twelve. Yeah, sorry, they, I, I, they won't for the final. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm more just thinking. Well, I, I yeah. think it's a better combination for them. I think they're more physical um, against Delanda as well. Like he's an absolute beast, you know. Yeah. Um, like I just think if I was if I was him, I'd be thinking, right, 
yeah, yeah, good luck now. Far every single time I'm going to get the ball, I'm not thinking of passing. I'm just He's wrapping a very that big thing hitter, up. Though, man. He hits He's one well. Of the biggest he doesn't stick though. At twelve, you know, it's a different ball game at twelve. Like you're, you've got guys coming at angles. You know, you're you're kind of you're you're the the ten is usually like you're, you're guided by what's in front of you. Whereas twelve has to figure out what 10 is doing before he's making a hit as well mm. um, whereas less so at 10 10 is kind of just you just don't want to make a bad decision in there you're just kind of guiding if it's a tackle it's usually straightforward who it is and you just hit the first person 12 is away the footwork is different um, and I think you're they're heavier carriers and better carriers usually the centres are, are usually the best carriers in tight spaces and they're usually big men I, I just don't like Farrell there I love him at 10 he's one of my favourite players to watch at 10 but I, I think you're right I think they're going to pick forward but I think that's that could be a mistake. Yeah, interesting to keep an eye on that. And, and just to go back to the other semi-final and just to focus on Wales for a second, obviously it's kind of the end of an era for Warren Gatland, albeit they have this third-place playoff to play. Um, you know, did they leave something out there, do you think? like They didn't play great. The momentum was with them towards the end. But overall, did they do enough, do you think, to get to a final? I, I think Wales were, you know, obviously with Ireland gone, they were an easier team to get behind than South Africa for me, but just the style of rugby they play. I think, to be fair to Gatland, you know, I've never been coached on or anything like that. And, you know, some guys have different opinions on him that have been on Lions tours, certainly that have come back to Ireland from there, that have been coached under Gatland. But in fairness to the man, he gets 110% out of all the players that he's, he seems to coach for whatever reason. And I think if you actually go through the team sheet that was playing against South Africa um, on the Sunday like there's a good few players there that don't have that much exposure at test level and they, they played outstandingly well and even to keep the game that tight for what it was and to you know you for a couple of refereeing decisions and maybe one or two other things that could have gone their way they easily could have come away with a win there and um yeah I felt a little bit sorry for Gatland because it would have been an amazing way for him to go out because even getting to a final first time a Welsh side ever got to a World Cup final it would have been pretty cool but on the flip side um, I don't think it'll happen, but uh, Wales have never beaten New Zealand with Warren Gatland. It's the one test side he hasn't beaten, so that would be a pretty nice way for him to go out, but I really can't see it. Yeah, what's kind of people asking what's his legacy? You know, he's been there for 12 years. It, it's been as a lifetime ago, really. You know, it was after the 07 World Cup when he first came in. You know, he's had a lot of Grand Slam success, you know, two World Cup semi finals. You know, we killed for that in Ireland. Uh, you know, you've been coached by him as well, or on the same lines to Rosam. Yeah, look. look. I really like him. You hear some differing. Uh, he's, he seems like a bit of a Marmite character for some people. Mm. Um, I suppose uh, maybe not that there was any favouritism or anything like that in terms of selection, clearly, but uh, I got on well because I, my dad would have had a relationship with Warren anyway and would have played against him and propped against him and stuff. So, um, or sorry, he would have been in the front row against him, excuse me. Um, so I actually always got on well with him. Thought he was a nice guy. Um, kind of quiet, kept to himself, and kind of ruthless. I liked some of the decisions. Like I loved as much as jumping on Driscoll. Yeah, I I thought that was really brave. Um, you know, and actually probably the right decision at that time. As much as it would have been really difficult for Drico to accept that, but it probably was. Jonathan Davies was an outstanding footballer. That time. I thought that was a brilliant decision. Really brave, um, and he's done lots of them throughout his career. Like he's been really ruthless at times when uh, when he's had to be. Um, I think his legacy with Wales will be, you know, very. Like, they they reached a really high level for a very long period of time without much support from the provincial system. Really, I mean, that hasn't been that strong, and um, they've really kind the of win percentage is pretty incredible for, for a twelve year period. Yeah. Because you see a lot of see a lot of coaches that go into coaching like test test rugby sides. Not that they lose the changing room or or anything like that, but and that's not to say that. You know the likes of Joe Schmidt did that, but I think there's there's a period where a coach can get the most out of a group of players, mm. and to get twelve years out of it, um, to get twelve years out of Wales playing as Lukey yeah. said to that level yeah. is is an incredible achievement. Yeah, one on Grand Slam of, per World Cup cycle he won. So like that's kind of along the way he's been winning Six Nations at every turn, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. And then being um, having the ability then t to to flip over and. And coach, you know those successful Lions sides, mm. and I know that we didn't come away with that win in New Zealand, but very closely did. And there's mixed opinions on a few players that came back from there. But at the end of the day, you you're judged on your results, and 
not many people would have given the Lions a chance going over on that tour, and and Warren Gatlin very nearly came away with it with a series win. So yeah. and the South Africa one was his record uh, speaks for itself. The South Africa one was a flip of a coin as well. Like yeah. that was, and that was a that was an unbelievable South African team. You know, as much as you say, you know, maybe McCord moved on for the last one, but like Jesus. Um, that's that's South African. It's better than this team that are in the final. Oh, that South African team was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. That was like like they remember the 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 yeah. whatever the Tri Nations the year before. Like they smashed everyone. Yeah. Uh, in that as well, home and away, I think they beat. They beat the All Blacks yeah, three yeah. times after that tour. Yeah, they yeah. were unbelievable. Uh, that team. So like that and that was a really really close run thing. Uh, do you know what I do love about him is that like look he's been successful everywhere he's been. You know, Waikato. Was that the first time in 30 years they won the NPC or something like mm. that? Like, that was a huge win. Put him on the map as a coach. But Wasps, he was brilliant there. Um, Ireland, he was excellent as well. But, like, the, it's the consistency throughout. Like, he's been successful everywhere he's gone. I love that he picked a brand of rugby and just decided. Really, yeah. He just stuck with it. He was like, he's one of those coaches that strikes yeah. me as a guy. He's like, okay, what have I got? Okay, I think this will work um, with this group of players. Um, you know, and, and he just... I don't think he worries overly about the opposition. He, he's, he, he seems like a kind of guy who picks one or two things that the opposition are good at. We really focus on trying to take those things away. With Ireland, it was always, you know, when they went into the air, like he's a great record against Joe Schmidt, I think, in the really tough games, you know, the big mm. ones. Um, so they always pick like one or two things like that. But he stuck to his principles. And I think mm. the players love that about him. It'd be interesting to see what he's like. He's going to the Chiefs now. Obviously, Super Rugby mm. is a lot different style to maybe what Warren Ball would be up in the Northern Hemisphere. It'd be interesting to see if he does have a more expansive game plan or if he tries to import what he did it's a simple Wales. structure though Ferg isn't it like mm -hmm. I don't think you don't you don't have to play yeah. like I think Wales probably don't have the the really creative guys and like you know in New Zealand teams will have like unbelievable runners and ball players everywhere like if you play that, that game it can look really good there's times though that I played against Wales under Gatland and they did throw the ball around mm -hmm. I think you know when their back line was at its most potent you know when George North first came on the scene. They still had Mike Phillips floating around. And mm. um, Bigger was playing probably his best rugby. Um, Davies had just come, you know, had broken onto the scene for a couple of seasons at the centre. He was playing some of his best rugby as well. Mm. Um, Scott Williams was playing particularly well. Yeah, great player. And Halfpenny was, mm. you know, one of the best fullbacks in the world. They threw the ball around a lot more back then. And I think maybe they got away from that in the last few seasons. But I suppose. His template for what he does, as Luke said, he hasn't changed it much. And yeah, it will be interesting to see because it, the Super 15 teams, um, I'm not so sure that will will, will be the best way of, of or the, the, the best theory for, for getting the most out of the group of players he'll have down there. He'll have more skillful guys, maybe not as physical, attritional kind of guys in the pack. So I don't know who he's got with his back backroom team, but I've listen, we talked about his record there. I've no doubt he'll probably do well when he goes down there as well. Yeah, just to, to move on to maybe some of the fallout from Ireland before we finish up with predictions and stuff like that. Obviously, you know, we, we you mentioned it earlier. You know, Brian O'Driscoll and Eason and Siwa have been commenting on the team and the exit of the World yeah. Cup and the style of play and talking about you know kind of the the contrast with how Leinster have been playing and, and maybe how Leinster have been training the players in terms of Stuart Lancaster and the focus on unstructured rugby versus Joe Schmidt, which is very very structured and regimented, and then maybe. You know, going back between the two styles caused some sort of, you know, as I think I just said, upsetting the apple cart. I don't know. <laughs> I know. To be honest with you, I was amazed. Like both of those guys have been very consistently supportive of Joe um, for a very long period of time. You know, and you'd almost say, particularly Issa would have been a disciple of his. Really, I would have thought. Um, you know, would have I suppose pushed hard for him to get the job initially. Um, um, and, and like I mean, it proved to be great, like a, a great bit of advice, and um, you know, in, in terms of recommending someone, like he's been brilliant for Irish rugby. Um, very surprising. Um, can't say I thought that it was down to a Leinster thing. I thought that was kind of an in, interesting tint to it. I'm sure they must have been talking to some of the more senior guys in the in the squad because it's the only way something like that could come out. And those two would probably only be friendly with probably people from that side of the camp as well. So you'd have to think there's some kind of something's probably come out there. I would say it's surprising to me. I think um, what was surprising mostly was that it came from a Leinster kind of lens. And now I know Leinster have been playing brilliant rugby the last couple of years and have been the standout province. But, you know, there was lots of guys from other teams that were a big loss in terms of playing expansive rugby. Like Simon Zebo was a big loss um, in terms of throwing the ball around. Um, and I thought there was probably a few injuries and things like that that didn't help things. Um, I think... Pfft, 
I was just, it, it, it's a, it was a weird week. I thought, um, I was less, less, but probably before the weekend, I would have had my mind set on actually calling it very much like I saw it, but subsequently from the fallout, I actually was less inclined to really stick the boot into Joe, to be honest with you. Um, and I always think a bit of balance is good in these circumstances. I feel like he got, he probably got let down a lot by like basic handling errors as well. It looked like a really bland, you know, and really boring style of rugby. But like it was some games that looked really good. Again, Scotland looked really good. You know, Japan and like the conditions were pretty tricky, but they kind of like New Zealand, they dropped the ball at like pretty much every single juncture in the game that was crucial and got the ball ripped out of their hands. Like so I don't know. I, I felt it was a bit harsh for the two guys. And to put a lens for lens it, on it was a bit weird, I thought. Well is it I don't think it's harsh for two guys who you know know the Leinster setup to look at the way Leinster have been playing, and in particular, the emphasis was was kind of it was on how Stuart Lancaster was coaching the team and say yeah. why can't Ireland do more of that or why didn't they do more of that, especially because it was evident from maybe the Six Nations that things maybe had gone a bit stale with the way Ireland were playing. But Leinster sorry did the same thing I thought in the crucial parts of last season. Sorry, Ferg, but uh, <laughs> I thought Leinster did the same thing when it came to playing against teams that were. Um, you know, like Saracens particularly, I thought, they were very, very direct and they went very much into the same channels. It was very, it reminded me very much of the Irish performances in the Six Nations. Um, and I thought they really sought out contact, whereas they went away from what was really good the year before. Um, well, you have to be brave. You have to take a step back, for, you know, further from the gain line. And you've got to ball play like England did. Like England forwards were ball playing. Oh, Leinster did the same thing. I thought it was a bit but rich, in, actually. In the semi-final was. against Toulouse, though, in the Aviva Stadium this year, Leinster did play a lot of rugby. But Toulouse I don't are think, a different I don't, ball I don't know if that's... I would agree with you there, Luke. I think if you're taking the, the Saracens game in isolation, oh. maybe. But the Joe, the way Joe Schmidt's t- uh, Irish team have been performing was... That, that, that had been going on for kind of nine months. It had been going on throughout the whole Six Nations. It was up and down performances, inconsistencies. Yeah. Um you know, struggled if we didn't we didn't score off you know those power plays from scrum and line out, mm. and then looked a bit lost to be honest in terms of a game plan when we didn't score off those things mm. would either put the ball in the air, or um, we'd struggle to get over the gain line really we'd struggle we'd struggle to to create much between the forwards and backs the interlinking play between the forwards and backs whereas the flip side is and it, the, the thing is the likes of Dan McFarland seems to have brought a nice brand of rugby up to Ulster as well but I'm just speaking about Leinster because I'm being coached in Leinster but the, what Stu has done uh, in Leinster I think he's, the biggest strength he's, he's brought there has been our multi-phase play you know forget about the, the move off set piece off scrum or line out we might get the ball off a kick off a turnover that's when we're at our most potent and it's because of the way we're training and I just don't think that the Irish team under Joe Schmidt they didn't evolve with the way they were training over the course of maybe four or five seasons it was the same type of sessions um, all the emphasis was on the set piece plays the scrums the line outs and it worked for a long period of time but as I said earlier on the show there's a lifetime to certain um, coaches getting the most out of their teams if you don't move forward or change something and I feel like he didn't I think the, the interesting thing about what you say there is and you know, having listened to like a lot of Leinster guys do interviews over the last you know 18 mm. months two years is they would always rave about the way they're being trained by Stuart Lancaster yeah. whereas previously it would probably be Joe Stuart that they were raving about being mm. coached by so maybe after a certain period, as Ferg says if, if you're being taught the same thing for you yeah. know four, five, six seasons and someone else comes in and maybe brings you a different direction that you prefer playing, or it's been very effective. I think it's reasonable for the lads to you know to, to ask the question. Uh, no, sorry, yeah. it is. But I think, I did, I think it, there's merit. It to didn't it. sound like they were asking the question. It sounded like they were kind of, I think, filtering through information that they had probably got <laughs> from inside the camp. And I, and I, my gut feeling on that one was, well, if so, if you'd actually held on to the ball and not dropped it so much. Um, you know, you probably could have played an expansive game. There's no way you can. We, we'll never know because basically they, they were looking for contact um, rather than looking for holes. Um, we, held, we held on, yeah, held on to the ball against Japan though, and there was just that we didn't we didn't look like we we're going anywhere because it was it wasn't. You say we could play an expansive game plan, but we didn't do that. Yeah. We got into the twenty two. It was just you know, pot, like f- hitting the forwards yeah. off nine or maybe one pass plays off ten. You know, into like a much smaller Japanese side that were knocking us behind the gain line and we, you know, I don't know if we scored a try in that game. 
did we? Two tries, two, two from kicks in the first. Oh, sorry, half. two from two from yeah, kicks. Yeah, Jack Carty's kicks right? and the dodgy chip. Yeah, the really? jo- uh, yeah, that was the, the other one was nice. Yeah, sorry, I, I get, sorry, I do get the point. I suppose I'm less inclined. My, my my, as soon as I feel like everyone like the wolf pack is on someone, I'm kind of saying I. I because you know I've been saying this for a long time about probably what the lads have been saying. And I that don't they're think looking the Wolfpack is on though. I think at the end of the day, look, we said on the show last mm. week, we said like Joe Schmidt brought Irish rugby to new levels. Yeah, and there's there's no debating that he did do that. Mm. You know, three Six Nations, one one Grand Slam, first win down in Australia, almost getting a first series win down in South Africa, beating New Zealand twice. We'd never beaten them before. Mm. That speaks for itself. Mm. But you know. At the end of the day, if you're going to call it as it is, the fact of the matter is that the team probably didn't evolve from mm. 2018 much, and other teams did, yeah. and that was our shortfalling, really. I can't argue with that. Yeah. And I, I was saying, Bill, how long have we been? Ta- have I been saying yeah. they're looking for contact all the time? You know, they're playing. They're, they're not trying things. They're having trouble with mm. someone else outside of Johnny Sexton or Conor Murray passing the ball like getting the ball to good places and I think they're how, they had some selection issues as well like they didn't pick people who were going to be playing expansive rugby either um, you know particularly at fullback like they didn't like they went Rob Kearney is brilliant defensively in terms of the air but like is he really going to light the world on fire in attack that's not why you're picking him you're picking him because you want solidity back there and security um, you know Jordan Larmer was a selection for that so like I think it's not just down to one side of things I, I, I've been saying it for a while but Maybe I just feel like you know, and for it, there was lots of other articles uh, out about Joe. Kind was of, there? yeah, okay. there was so there was a bit of I stuff out. Really kind of, but in terms of these two specifically, I I, I was surp- I was surprised at it. Um, I I didn't completely disagree with everything they were yeah. saying, but I but thought it was weird to have disciples. Then, like, you take it more seriously. Like, if it's two guys who do back them all the time, then if they're saying it, then surely you must think there actually should be you know more validity to it than if someone with an extra grind. Like, yeah, that's right, and that's a fair point as well. Will I just I don't know I. I feel bad. I, I felt bad for him in some ways because I feel like he puts a huge amount of time into the thing, um, and I kind of just thought, like, look, the, at the end of the day, it was really hard to really decipher whether the game plan was that w- was against New Zealand particularly was actually that bad because base the basics and the fundamentals of the game they got completely wrong and they got smashed in defence. Their defence was terrible. So I don't know. Like maybe I just looked at it that way, saying. I saw these issues with the game. I didn't see a problem with the attack bar. They couldn't hang on to the ball. Like, do you it, know what I mean? It's funny on, on the, 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 the kind of the Leinster part of the of the kind of comments because Leo Cullen was the, was put the Leo Cullen and he his reaction it sounded like he thought it was a criticism almost even though it was I thought it was more of just like why can't they play a bit more like Leinster in a complimentary way but he was like kind of seemed to take it as some sort of criticism. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd say he's probably like. I'm sure he works closely enough with Joe. Yeah. I know. I know that. I'm sure there's difficult parts of that relationship, particularly with some, like say, the likes of Joey Carberry situation. I'm sure it didn't play out great. And from it, it look, Leinster have have done very well subsequently, and lots of guys have come on and fill those boots. But like Joey Carberry would have, I think, hurt Leinster. I think they were a bit disappointed with how he was treated and how the club was treated, having brought him through the ranks. Um, so I'm sure there's been a few flashpoints here and there. Um, but I would still say Joe or like Leo probably would have lent on a lot of Joe's philosophies and thinkings around the game. Um, so I'm sure he's, and as a coach, he knows how fickle it is and how quickly yeah. it turns. I'd say he's very, it'd be very unlikely for Leo to, to stick the boot. Or even if you ask Stuart Lancaster about it, like he's been, he's seen stick the, the boot in if he's not on the field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He didn't mind when he was on it. But like Stuart Lancaster knows, like, how, like we've been building him up since he's come over here and he has been, rev- he's been brilliant for Leinster, brought them on to another level. But he's seen the other side where he got completely decimated after the the you know the last World Cup after that loss against Wales. So asking those people about you know what they think about it, like you're probably going to get some fairly bland reactions or some fairly weird reactions to that because they'd be fairly sensitive to that, um, having been in the same situation. Yeah, and at least our head coach, our new head coach, hasn't been involved in two World Cup uh, tobaccos <laughs> in the last in the last four years. <laughs> uh, look, I think he, do you know what I will say about that guy? Uh, I've only met him a few times. Seems like a really good bloke. He will if he, if he can't get people all on the same page. I don't know who can. So I think that's definitely something he'll be able to do. One last topic before we finish up, guys, is now that the international players are coming back, and you guys have opened in this camp before coming back from a World Cup, having to integrate back into a provincial setup because it's a strange period for these guys. Like the World Cup has been the focus for four years, yet it's come at the start of the season. There's a massive letdown, but you have to come back in. There's Champions Cup games to be played. It's kind of, you're kind of in a weird purgatory. You've, you've had the biggest part of your season at the very start of your season. Like, what's that like when you come back from a World Cup and you do have to hit the ground, you know, running again? 
Um, yeah, in 2011, I hadn't played much rugby at the World Cup and um, there was a couple of other Leinster guys in that boat as well. Leo Cullen, ironically, was one of them as well. Um, and a few others. But then there was another bunch of guys who had played an awful lot of rugby over there. The Decky was playing pretty much the same team every week and we got it knocked out in the quarters um, again. But... Uh, I don't know. I, I felt it was actually a bit of a springboard for a lot of us coming back. Um, we ended up winning the, the Heineken Cup in 2012. Mm. Um, it, w- it was a great year. We lost, unfortunately, um, in the the league final, but we, w- we won the, the Heineken Cup against Ulster and Twickenham. And um, I felt refreshed coming back because it had been a bit of a frustrating period for me over there. I'd only played one game and there's one or two other guys who were in the same boat. And, you know, guys from Ulster Connacht, you know, Paddy Wallace was another guy who went over there, hadn't played much, but we went back and he was playing very well for, for Ulster yeah. that year and they did get to the Heineken Cup final. But, um, I mean, it can go both, it can go two ways, but I think the pros that, like, that Irish team have, um, young and old now, mm. particularly coming back into, I can only speak from Leinster's, Leinster's perspective, how well I know them and how good they are on and off the field, that they'll be dying to get back. Obviously, um, getting out of that environment a losing environment really for them over the past period of time in general has been probably disappointing for them and they'll just be looking be looking to get stuck back into the Leinster setup and and um make sure that they get their names on the team sheet because when they've been gone there's been some really great young guys putting their hands up and you know that's that's the culture we're building it's the guys who are playing the best in their positions who are going to get picked so um, there's going to be no handing of jerseys back. Guys are going to have to earn them. So that's that's the way you got to do it. You come back in great shape as well, don't you? Like especially if you haven't played that much. Like I was the same. I hadn't played that much as well. Um, and like you know, you get yourself in serious condition for for World Cups. You know, it's you, you just it's it's a great way of focusing the mind. So if you don't play that much, it's brilliant. I I I found as well it's brilliant coming back in. Um, you know, it was just cause again oh, the disappointment. Like, oh, more rugby. You're it's dying like, to get back like in a, there. It's like yeah. a new setup. It's yeah, a new yeah. setup, and it's like yeah. a, a new group, and it's a it's also a group that you're unbelievably close to but you hadn't seen for ages so you're excited yeah. to catch up with them train with them play with them again so bring a new buzz as well lots of positive it's exactly what this you know the guys have, have had um, from all provinces I think they've had a week or two off which you'd need to refresh and just take some time from not going to the gym running whatever but I'm sure they're all dying to get stuck back into you know what would be European rugby in around three weeks time but what about the mental adjustment you know when you lose in another quarter final or you know in in every case actually 11, 15 and this mm. year like to come back in is that difficult? Well that's right that's right. I yeah. don't think it is I think you're kind of yeah. saying um, particularly if you haven't had I, it's it's probably trickier for people who've had a heavy block of rugby you know with the pre-season and like you know again our, traditionally the Irish coaching has been over the last while anyway has been very very conservative so some people get huge minutes um, but others don't really um, and I think it's if I was only in the situation I could speak for myself here where I was dying to get back in I hadn't played that much but I knew I was playing good rugby I knew I was in good shape um, so I was dying to get back in and, and played some decent rugby and I was playing a few different positions than that when I came back in which a bit awkward but other than that um, I was dying to get back in I thought the setup was really positive um, you know a really good team you were kind of didn't win much when we came, when I came back in and it was you know we had a difficult end to the season but it was still very exciting to get back in there and as Ferg said there's lots of other things like you know you haven't seen your very you know these are probably people you're very very close we haven't seen them in a long time back amongst your family you know friends you're back in a nice environment and you're kind of raring to go and get the season going and pick yourself back up it's a great thing about having you know this happen you know rather than the end of your seasons happen yeah. to start where you go well look there's still so much to play for you got three weeks before you're in a European Cup game like how enjoyable is that um, so yeah look I, and I, I think there's lots to be positive about in terms of the provinces as well I mean I'm very interested to see this new um, you know kind of Munster setup. Um, very very exciting uh, I think Dan McFarland's done some great work up there he's a renowned excellent coach and he looks like he's got them all singing off the same hymn sheet Connacht you know a bit of an unknown quantity still I think even though it's there hasn't been massive changes in personnel or anything like that um, interested to see how they progress I like every time I hear a friend interviewed I just I like I like how he, he interviews. Uh, seems very much common sense and plays likes to play a good brand of rugby. So, um, I'd like to see them improve a little bit, um, on on last season's uh, showing. So, I think lots of all the people coming back into different provinces, very very positive uh, environments, and they'll be looking forward to get back in. Even the people with high minutes, because 
as I said, even for those people, it's a chance to redeem yourself and something big to play for. Also, in terms of a confidence hit, like, you know, you can say, oh, we're going to wipe the slate clean, you know, as an Irish team after getting beaten by 50 points in Twickenham. But it's actually extremely hard to do that when you're in the same setup because at the end of the day, that did happen to that team in that jersey. Whereas when you leave that setup, you go back to your different perspective um, or respective domestic sides, provincial sides, you can go, we're drawing a line in the sand there. I'm mm-hmm. moving forward. I've got great memories from last year. I was playing very well at club level leading into there. So you you, you just put a full stop behind it. So I think a lot of those guys will be happy to just um, wave goodbye to what was, uh, you know, a World Cup campaign that they want to forget. And last question on this. In terms of, you know, it's, it's a new, it's, it's a different kind of way of, of peaking physically. You have to be really fit at the start of the season. Like, as you get towards the end of this campaign, like the, or when you guys were involved, did you feel fatigued, you know, much more fatigued than you would have ordinarily? Because usually you have a couple of Pro 14 games to ease yourself into the season. It's not like, you know, playing the All Blacks, playing, you know, a World Cup pool stage. I don't know how either you They rest you pretty well, I think. Um, you know, they make sure that the, the play, playing loads will be, um, you know, lighter. Um, there's a few guys that will have injuries, like Jack Cohn and Joey Carby. Looks like he's going to be out for a little bit as well. So there's a few people who probably have layoffs there. Um, and I think the people who had played heavy minutes will probably get a bit of a rest. Um, and they'll try and do that sporadically during the season because they'll know... They, they look at the cumulative build-up of minutes. It's not just, you know, little blocks and they go, OK, we need them, you know, we'll, we'll prepare for this. They'll actually look at the whole thing and say, look... What's our, you know, we 25 games is probably, you know, we don't really want, you know, the, the injuries that happen or occur, the chances or the probabilities of an injury happening beyond that, very, very large, even if we help manage them through certain blocks. So yeah. I think they've got it down to a fine art. They'll have the players, uh, you know, kind of ready to ready to go. Um, and I think they'll manage them well throughout the season. The, uh, the Irish setups usually do that very well. And particularly, like, there is a bit of depth there, you know, um, you know probably less so in a few of the other provinces. But Leinster particularly, like... Like I'd say lots of those people are actually be dying to get back in because they're worried about getting their place, yeah. to be honest. Well, mm. we'll finish up with predictions. England versus South Africa, guys. Will we see another England World Cup win? Or will it be like 2007 <laughs> in an atrocious game that South Africa win 15-6? <laughs> it's hard to back against them. They were so good. Um, yeah, I think I'll go with an England win. Um, will it be a shit match? Uh, it has the potential to be it really does because I think South Africa I don't think a fast game will, will lend to them a slower one um, where they can kind of impose themselves physically all across the pitch will suit them and bring on those six forwards at the end to kind of just squeeze the tempo out of the game um, but I'm not sure England will let them do that I think England actually have a better defence than them um, and a better kicking game so um, I think I'll go with England even if it's a, a messy one Yeah I think I suppose playing it safe is going going for England, but I think it'll be a tight game. Actually, yeah. I think as I said at the start of the show, there won't be much rugby played. Um, I think Razi Erasmus is a very clever coach with the resources he ever has. He always he does the right things with the clientele he has, and Felix Jones will be backing that up. Um, but I think that England will be able to get around them. I think that they do come up very hard, but the structure of their D isn't as good as England, and I think that. Um, they'll be able to get them on the edge with a few of those wraparound plays with Ford and Farrell coming out the back of those shapes off the pods um, from 10 to that pod out the back from the likes of St. Clair Atoje. Um So I think I think England will win, win, but it'll be in the round of one score game. And very last question, the big one of the weekend, the third place playoff. <laughs> New Zealand versus uh, the I think New Zealand will win that one, um, even though they'll be very disinterested, I'm sure. Um... Yeah, I think New Zealand for that. For that one, uh, I'll go for the fairy tale story and, and, and say Wales just <laughs> oh, to disagree with you. I'd certainly be 15 years of the All Blacks. Uh, on that note, Luke Ferg, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Will. Cheers. That's all we have time for this week on the Left Wing in association with Ali. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with another podcast reviewing the World Cup final between England and South Africa. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thank you for listening and goodbye. The Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school.